Recorded as an audio log found in the lost underwater city of Rapture, it's the RF Generation Nation podcast number five. I'm your host, Jess. You can find me in the RF Generation forums as Slacker. And this is Adam. I'm BigMan2K on the forums. And we're here to start the new year off right with a few recent RF Generation front page stories. We'll cover some industry news, debut our gaming history museum with a retrospective on the Faceball series, and of course the top five. Around the site, we have a nice recap of the Double Dragon series, as well as the various Centipede releases on the Game Boy Portables by Noise Redux. An overview of the Super Nintendo and Super Famicom systems by Zero AX. That was a great article, by the way. If you haven't checked that one out, that's definitely one to read. Yeah, I have to admit, and this is something I always notice from looking at, at uh, magazine pictures, the Super Famicom as well as the Famicom always looks so much cooler than, than what we got over here. <laughs> I, I don't know why they took the color away. They just uh, – it's like – American industrialized. That's all it can be. Somehow gray, slate gray and purple scream American. That's kind <laughs> of – thank you, Prince. Anyway, Noise Redux also reviews some GameCube retro controllers for everyone in Game Boy Player land. You can check out these articles as well as posts from our other members at rfgeneration.com. All right, to start off our gaming news uh, with this episode, we've got a new Donkey Kong record holder. Classic. And he's not the hot sauce guy? It's not Billy nerd. Mitchell. And it's not Billy Wh- Mitchell or Steve Weeb. Is it Weeb or Weeby? I think it's Weeby. Weeby? Okay. Um, plastic surgeon Hank Chin has beaten Steve Weeby's Donkey Kong record. He beat it by a full 3,500 points. Which is pretty outstanding for that game. <laughs> says it took him about... It took two hours and 45 minutes to complete the game. And that... I, I can barely, you know, stand to play, you know, loop through Donkey Kong so many times... Before I'm like, okay, I gotta find something else anyway. But to be able to play that for two hours, almost three hours, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, hats off to these gentlemen because, uh, you know, I'd like to think I've got some a, a few retro skills, but it, they aren't in Donkey Kong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next up, we've actually got a returning uh, classic console company. Commodore is back. They have a new gaming strategy that includes an all-in-one PC, a smartphone, a tablet even. And they are looking to kind of launch the hardware and then license it off to either different companies or you know hardware partners or something like that. They are specifically, um, one of the Commodore guys mentioned developing at least one Android phone and tablet, but, you know, there's no specifics yet. Is Commodore gonna, you know, are they gonna make a dent, or is this just kind of a, you know, they're now entering the regular PC business? Like, their all-in-one PC is a 23-inch monitor with Windows 7 and wireless keyboard and mouse and, you know, DVR. It's basically, you know, it's your standard touchscreen well, I don't know if it's necessarily touchscreen, but you know your HP TouchSmart. That's the general kind of specs for something like that. Uh, do you see this as you know going anywhere? Or this kind of just kind of a you know classic gaming company that's trying to make a name for themselves again. 
I don't know how much nostalgia alone is going to be able to support them. I'm a big fan of the old school C64. That is uh, where I cut my teeth as a gamer. But as a PC, you don't really have you know just a lot to, to transfer over into the modern era. I think that there'll be a certain appeal to you know the the old school uh, computer users. But really, we're kind of phasing past where there'd be any relevance there. I think that if they can get some industry partners to help support them. Uh, you know they might be able to sustain a business model, but you know, for gamers, I don't even know if Commodore themselves had license to any actual titles. So it's going to be more of just the nostalgia of you know, the way the system looked, or uh, maybe a you know just some some attachment there. But you know, for for the sake of gaming, I I don't really see them being able to make a, a big dent there. And for the sake of PCs, like I say, you know maybe maybe if they jump on the bandwagon with a few other companies they can make a name for themselves but I don't see it as being the same Commodore anymore what if what if I now that I've skimmed the article a little bit better now uh, mentioned that they plan to bring back virtually the entire archive of Commodore 64 games via an online game store day one <laughs> it says there's going to be two sections of nostalgia archive and there's also going to be new new games that's going to be created for their motion controller let me tell you, if they have an archive that features all of the games that I typed in from Computes Gazette in machine language all on the system, I'll just sell off my next-gen consoles, because I won't need anything for a couple of years. <laughs> Crossroads and Crossroads 2. Two players. That's all I need. I must say, I, I've, I, I've never played a Commodore before, so I, have, I haven't experienced any of that but I would, you know, if the price is right, I might look into something like that. Well, they've already shown with, uh, say, they've got a few Commodore 64 games on the Virtual Console. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those you really need a couple of keys to be able to work with, as sure. the games have shown. And so it's not something we're going to be able to return to very easily on our on our current uh, platforms to be able to, to reserve. I mean, you can get online and, you know, depending on how you feel about it, you can already get most of these ROMs and, and goof around, but for an official archive by Commodore to have it all together in one place, yeah, that's, that's definitely got a, a hook that, again, it's probably a more of a niche market than they themselves want to admit to, mm -hmm. but I, I'd, I'd jump on it because that's what I grew up with. You know, The Commodore, to me, was like the Atari or even the Nintendo or even the PlayStation for a lot of other people, so mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'd be there. And now to some... More modern gaming news, the PS3, and actually by virtue of the PS3, the PSP Go is fully hacked. GeoHot and Fail Overflow, well, Fail Overflow, you know, made the, they, they found the keys, they found the algorithm where Sony basically, you know, for their random number they decided to use four, like the XKCD comic famously shows. Way to go for a password, guys. That's no one fantastic. Gonna figure that one out. No one's gonna guess password is your password for your, you know, to sign all your games. The password is one, two, <laughs> three, four. That's the same as on my login. That's a killer AES key, right? They have released the the fail overflow released the exploit. They released it all open source. Geohot, who is a you know famous for his iPhone hacking and among other things, he actually released the keys. And that has now landed him in hot water with Sony. They've put a, they've threatened a restraining order by him. 
they're wanting to get this stopped, which is obviously pointless by now because now that it's been on the internet, it's never going to go away. And, you know, they, they can obviously, you know, they have really no repercussions against, to me, I don't think they have anything against the fail team because all they did was release the algorithm. If you want to go find the keys, go find the keys. But they didn't release anything related to piracy. They didn't release, they want, they want their Linux back. Because Sony put it on there as a selling feature of the PS3, and then they took it away. And that's when the hacking started, and now they've completely broken the entire system because of poor security. It would be awesome if the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force, hired GeoHot for their uh, their PS3 network. <laughs> oh, their, their PS3 cluster, man. And that's, that is just amazing. I mean, have you seen pictures of that? It's, it's just it's just <laughs> rows of PlayStations on metal racks just lined up. It's what we always assumed that Saddam had when the PS2 was released with the Emotion Engine. He must <laughs> just have stacks of these things and missiles yeah, somewhere. Yeah. So, so now that they have the the keys are out, the keys have been released. They now have um, they actually have already compiled and have a working SNES emulator that runs on your PS3. They also have it now working with the piracy's already there now. So, you know, it it's not the original intent, but people are going to do it anyway because that's what a certain subset of hackers always wants to do. They want they want to play for free. Some people want to play just homebrew stuff, but others want to play for free. They've already done that. Castlevania Lords of Shadow was the first game that they got running on GeoHot's uh, custom firmware on the PS3. Which is kind of impressive because some people had so many glitches they couldn't run it on a normal non-hacked PS3. <laughs> and uh, so that's already working. They've also got um, 3D dot game heroes running as well. And it's... Uh, Interestingly enough, a game based around customization. <laughs> yes. There's, it's six steps. I have not done it. I have no idea how hard it would be. How, you know, what kind of, um, you know, process is involved. And I'm sure that backing it up from a Blu-ray disc is going to take forever, depending on the size of the game, of course. But, well, considering Sony's involved, the third step's probably sacrificing your young, so. And then, yeah, then question marks and profit. So, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's out there. You know, I haven't tried it yet. I say yet. There's, <laughs> there's, there's some rumblings that Sony may be looking to remotely disable consoles that are running custom firmware too so which is technically within their user rights i mean that that is something they could legally do yeah i mean depending on how oh, it you would be, interpret it i mean i think it would be a bad deal if they did it i think it would be of course uh, i mean really that's you know most of these guys they're wanting to run linux they're not wanting you know they're want linux and homebrew like emulations and emulators and stuff the thing that i'm afraid this will open up. Uh, one of the things that I do appreciate, the the closed-box nature of systems like the 360 and the PS3 is because of the, the online community. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's already tons of hacking and glitching, and anyone who's played Call of Duty knows the, the pratfalls uh, that you already have on a somewhat closed system. You know, you, you The more you open this up, the more some of these ga- online games are just... You know, going to go downhill because you're going to have the the, more of an open access to hacking on these online games. And for some reason, it just seems 
that uh, this com- a lot of these communities proliferate uh, with the hacking and the cheating. And that's one thing that I, I do actually appreciate. Having a closed box means that logistically, oftentimes you can have uh, a better online experience with, with less of that. But it doesn't mean that now I'm going to get on Call of Duty and suddenly there's going to be twice as many hackers on there. It just means that uh, now that that's open to the community, it's going to be a lot more difficult to to maintain uh, you know the the online maintain the fair play of online. It's there's there's some individuals that it's going to be harder to keep honest with sure. uh, sure. you know with the, with the online cheating and and that's not really an I think a knock against the hackers or to Sony. It's just kind of an unfortunate result that oftentimes spills out of this. Mm. But hey, well, I get to play Super Nintendo games on my PS3, so. <laughs> 1080 like Super my, Nintendo. Just like on my PSP. <laughs> Speaking of some PSP, this is a different PSP than the PlayStation phone. Also, the Xperia Play is still not officially existing yet, but somebody has one and they have completely torn it apart and have pictures of the entire thing torn down. But it, it doesn't actually exist yet, so don't watch out for that. Worst kept secret <laughs> in gaming yet this year. <laughs> All right, and let's uh, let's go and move to some Nintendo news. There's already been news that the 3DS may be down to a or may have a like top end of three hours for battery. I mean, do you think that's really enough? Oh, you're gonna get us flamed here because. Nintendo is always known to to kind of minimize their uh, their their tech specs. In other words, the you know it's they under they under worst case the possible scenario, and it's like sure. three to five is supposed to be their uh, and that's with 3D. And I think they I think that's with like a, you know like an average medium uh, brightness to the screen and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be three to five hours, which means that technically it'll last about as long as your links and Game Gear. If you're using, <laughs> but you don't have to buy a new pack of batteries for your 3DS. We hope. (laughs) The the 3DS is also... uh, Nintendo of Japan came out and said the 3DS is going to be region locked. Which... (laughs) I'm going to back up here. Okay, yeah. Because the the battery thing doesn't... It's really, from what I've read online, it's it's split people in half. You've got... about half the people I, I've read comments on or, or uh, read articles over say that this is uh, no big deal. Most trips that you take are, uh, you know, you're going to have a charger with you if you're going to be on a, you know, a longer than you know four or five hour trip, mm-hmm. and that it's it's people are are going crazy because most people probably don't even use their their portable systems for longer than that, and then you stretch. And then you have the other community that's like. Hey, this is the new Game Gear and Links because you know those things burned through batteries. Of course, like you said, it's a good point because now you have rechargeable batteries, which technically should <laughs> help it hold out a whole lot better and, and a lot cheaper. You don't have to buy your weight in batteries every couple of weeks when you're when you're playing it. But uh, and, and it's you know killer hardware as opposed you know to you know compared to the early you know portable handhelds like the like the Game Gear and Links. I, I, I don't see it as a big deal. I don't I, I think it's a you know, jeez. Sometimes my phone will only last three to five hours. I mean Apple. <laughs> yeah. No no no. I'm I'm using Android, but man, that angry birds will drain your battery dead. <laughs> it doesn't just make angry birds. That's right. Or angry unless it, it actually gives you see, you it the name 
stems from the fact that you're actually giving Angry Birds to your phone That's because right. That's right. it keeps on dying on you. The uh, the battery life does bother me uh, for a couple of reasons. The original bricks, the old Game Boys, mm-hmm. I knew friends who didn't realize the thing even took batteries until, until – <laughs> yeah. I mean because you could get a crazy amount of battery life on like, these things. like – Eight, ten hours? Yeah. And... Four double A's? And they even kept up uh, that extended battery life tradition. Now, of course, they didn't introduce, like, these bright, colorful, awesome screens that, at the time, Game Gear and then Lynx did. Uh, You know, we tend to forget that that tech was pretty impressive at the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, even, like, the Turbo Express, you know, had a great screen on it. Um, and for the time, it was really hard to get that kind of hardware that compact. So it was very impressive, but you know, everybody paid for it in battery life, and that I really think that's one of the, the downfalls of the system. Now, now that you have rechargeable batteries, it impacts it differently, but my portable gaming, uh, being a dad, a lot of my portable gaming comes from sitting on the couch, and uh, in between screams and diaper changes, uh, this is what I can get in my gaming. Sure. And most of the time I don't have it plugged in because, trust me, if there's a cord leading to me from anywhere in the house, I got three little guys that are going to find it, and it's going to be wrapped all around them. And so it limits, uh, to some extent, my uh, my gaming with it because the DS and the DS Lite around here, Mm -hmm. those things get used all of the time, and I just throw them on the charger overnight. It's not a big deal. Sure. Um, and there's some people that argue if I'm getting more than three to five hours of gaming a day, uh, then I'm probably not doing what I should be as a dad, but hey. Hey, nap time is fantastic for gaming. Oh my goodness. Yeah, the, see, the problem is I just start drooling on the screen when my eyes are closed. It's, it's terrible. But I don't want to say how many of those I had to replace. Moving on. So I think the battery life actually is a factor. In fact, it is the only thing that made me go, I might wait for a second iteration because mm-hmm. That's something they're likely going to resolve. Uh, it's also something that keeps me uh, from playing my PSP more, and this is how I know that it actually will actually will impact me the way I'm I'm theorizing because my PSP does not get a lot of love, and it's because I'm always having to charge the silly thing. Yep, I can I can understand doesn't have that. any worse. Yeah, it doesn't have any worse battery than any other PSP, and I know you can buy the, the extended life batteries, and, and I probably should have gone that route. I, Even uh, with, but, I've got the extended life batteries, and I haven't noticed a huge difference in the life. You know, it's 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 a little bit better, but uh, you know, the PSP that's a that is a hungry, hungry beast of a of a handheld to be draining batteries, and and, and you know, since I do have you know three or four batteries for my PSP. I guess I don't see it as that big of an issue because I can keep them all charged up. I can play for two hours, three hours, or however long it is. You know, flip a new battery in and just keep going. So, I mean, I but I just don't get those kind of you know personally I don't get those kind of gaming stretches anymore anyway. Yeah, I hear you. It's (laughs) it's been frustrating because there's there's a number of excellent PSP games uh, that I have. I mean, I I don't defend the system very often, but it does have some some great games Mm -hmm. and. Be uh, there's several of them that I'm I'm hours into and then I just stopped because I turn it on a few times realize I had to charge it and then I'd never get back to it you know I'd pick up my DS I, I could have had you know awesome graphics and sound and a great play experience and if I can't you know I, I flip that switch and and I have a black screen I'm just gonna go grab my DS and play some more Tetris or something in it mm-hmm. and if the if the PSP had 
an eight to ten hour battery life, I, I really think that the the roles would be at least equal, if not perhaps even reversed. But mm-hmm. as it is, that's where I kind of see the 3DS, you know, leading now. With the hardware, I might pull it out like I'd pull out a console and just kind of sit and experience it. But if I'm going to do that, you know, it's it's a lot more likely that I'm just going to turn on my my Bravia and <laughs> sit in front of it. And, sure. Yeah. You know, so I think it's gonna. I think it is going to impact it. I, I think that uh, that's probably the now the region lock that you're getting into though. Uh, that's another thing that kind of bugs me. Yeah. Um, and really, they you know they started this with the DSi. Um, with you know region coding and everything, but it's again to to me I'm I'm not one for importing games really. Um, I you know if I find them here around here, I'll pick them up because you know I I never see that stuff. Um, but I don't know enough Japanese to warrant trying to go get a. Japanese game or import something. I mean, if there's something that's, you know, killer Japanese only that would never ever come out in America, then, you know, that would, that would be a different, you know, deal altogether. But I, I don't see this impacting the majority of gamers. It's definitely more something for the collectors out there. Sure. I, I have a lot more import titles than, than I really thought about until, uh, I, found out that DSi was going to be region locked and it made me realize, you know, I, I do this more than I would have thought. Plus, there's some games, say like a European release, uh, it might be a whole lot easier to, to track down than an American mm-hmm. release. You know, sure. there's there's different scenarios and it I, I have no doubt that it largely plays into the, the online services that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that it's it's you know, got a lot more to do with that, but uh, it's I'm not going to say it really made a difference for me wanting a 3DS, but it is one of one of those little kind of checks in the negative box going, oh, well, <laughs> oh, well. And we've also got, to round up our 3DS news, we've got eight launch titles, but only one of those is first party from Nintendo. And that game is Nintendogs. Really? <laughs> And you it's not tell. even Nintendo Dogs, it's Nintendo Dogs and Cats. You can tell they're expecting the hardware itself to initially sell it out the gate, uh, as yes. opposed to a, another Mario or Zelda, you know, immediately. Now, they're, they have some some very cool third-party... It sounds like they're going to be some great third-party games. Uh, well, some of them. They, I mean, there's going to be a Samurai, a Samurai Warriors Chronicle... Um, Combat of Giants Dinosaur 3D from Ubisoft, the Samurai Wars from Tecmo, uh, Puzzle Bobble Puzzle 3D is coming from Square Enix, uh, Konami has Pro Evolution Soccer, so you know that it'll sell in Europe, Capcom has Street Super Street Fighter 4 3D Edition, which oh, since man. the characters stay on a 2D plane anyway, <laughs> it'll be purely, I mean, it'll be Atmosphere. And that, I mean, it, I think it'll look great. And Level Five's coming; they're launching with a Professor Layton title, and uh, Namco is coming out with Ridge Racer 3D. Okay, this frightens me because let me tell you, Professor Layton puzzles can be so aggravating in 2D. <laughs> you yes. get some kind of 3D spatial puzzle on this thing; you're going to. Th- this is part of their master plan. They know there's going to be a bunch of fans out there that are going to buy a 3DS. And Professor Layton, 
and, and like the smash third, it. The third puzzle in, you're you're gonna break the thing over your face. And yes. then you're gonna be like, oh, gotta buy my my mother and my sister another 3ds. Yeah, I knew some true story. Bank I, behind a, you know, you gotta tilt the screen just right to see that little that you know see a picker at behind a chair or something like that that you gotta pick up or something. <laughs> true story. I knew a kid in high school that broke three gray brick Game Boys on his forehead. How? He got so that thing aggravated. was that thing is indestructible. How do you break? So was his head. <laughs> he got so mad Jeez. he slammed the thing against his head. Two of them were not his. <laughs> no. True story. Thankfully, none of them were mine. That thing I was will take a bomb, as evidenced by the Game Boy. I think it's at Nintendo in Seattle. But this kid managed to bust three of them. <laughs> that is so killer. Mister Coach is going to play after the apocalypse. Yeah. That is killer, man. You know, my my wife is a, a big fan of the Dead or Alive series. Seriously, my wife. <laughs> uh-huh. She has. We've picked up the each Dead or Alive title upon release. Like that was the big thing she wanted for um, for the the Xbox and uh, I, and the 360 uh, when it finally came out. So I know that she's that's going to be the first thing she asked for. It if they had a Soul Caliber, that would edge it out. But she's definitely going to want the Dead or Alive. So <laughs> I might have to pick up a 3DS before the second iteration. <laughs> Oh, darn. And we're beginning our debut of Gaming History Museum with Faceball, the series. Originally known as Midi Maze on the Atari ST by Xanth Software FX, this title came out in 1987, predating Doom and even Wolfenstein 3D. A first-person shooter, before the phrase really ever caught on, it was titled Midi Maze because you networked up to 16 Atari computers through the Midi ports, as opposed to the Cat 5 that's now standard or even, you know, Wi-Fi later. Gameplay just consisted of hunting your buddies through a maze, and your character and everybody else was represented by a big round smiley face. You had a shoot button, and sometimes a shoot faster button, and that was about it. There wasn't any of the uh, series staples we know of now, like, you know, strafing or circle strafing. Uh, movement was, was incredibly simple. You just use the arrow keys to get around the maze and try to shoot someone else before they got you. It is largely known as the first first-person shooter uh, widely available for home networks. Uh, you know, aside from some big supercomputer in a college that nobody knew about. Most people are familiar with Midi Maze in its bulletproof software 1991 release, Faceball 2000, for the Game Boy. The black and white version actually retained the ability to link up to 16 players on a LAN, still the only Game Boy title to do so. Later on, there was a Super Nintendo release, and even a Game Gear release that only saw its way into Japan, uh, something I tried to track down and couldn't find. <laughs> also, there is a version for the PC Engine on disc. It's considered just a trial, um, but I actually have it here, and it looks like a completely realized game. It, uh, it's got the same kind of split-screen two-player action that the Super Nintendo one's known for, and if you don't have 16 people who are interested in playing baseball, it's actually the smoothest version that, that I found to play. <laughs> Baseball is one of those titles that's kind of hard to go back and revisit, mainly because it's an example of an early genre game that we've really refined a lot more. Even the ability just to kind of strafe from side to side makes a huge difference in these kind of games. Uh, oftentimes, multiplayer just kind of resolves around you seeing somebody and hitting the fire button as fast as you can, because you can't really get out of the way. Um, but it's an interesting history lesson as a title itself, and it's still fun to kind of uh, load up and kick around. Uh 
it's hard to realize when you play the Super Nintendo version or even the Game Boy version that uh, the Game Boy version released a year before Wolfenstein 3D. So it's one of those that if you go back and play the early versions, uh, it's hard to realize just how big of an impact this had. This really brought forth multiplayer LAN gaming uh, from the PC and then you know even over to consoles later. So it's it's important just for what it started refining early on. And it looks like they may have also been working on a Virtual Boy version. looks like it was just going to be called Faceball. It was under development, but Nintendo then decided to you know, stop manufacturing the Virtual Boy. So, you know, they got a solid, you know, 47 days worth of development out of it. If they released a Faceball complete with circle strafing for the 3DS, I would be all over that. <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll make its way to the 3DS Virtual Console. We can hope. We can hope. <laughs> And now, the top five gamers' New Year's resolutions for 2011. Number five, stop playing Angry Birds and Plants vs. Zombies on your phone at work before you get fired. Again. Number four, admit defeat and scratch off the rest of the Atari 2600 games you never finished from your gaming backlog. Number three, swear this is the last year you write Square Enix another letter demanding a Final Fantasy VII remake. Number two, Actually playing something besides ROMs on your PSP again before the PSP 2 is released. And the number one gamer's New Year's resolution for 2011. This is the year you finally beat your mother's Wii Bowling score. And that wraps up episode 5 of RF Generation Nation. Remember, if you have any questions, queries, comments, posters, or interview requests, you can leave us some comments in the forums at rfgeneration.com. You can also track your game collection and check out some of the other blog posts as well as uh, check out the rest of the forums. You can also send us an email at podcast at rfgeneration.com or you can give us a call and leave us a message. That phone number is area code 318-RFG-TIP-5. That's 318-734-8475. Thanks for listening. God bless and game on. Be sure to keep it on Channel 3.